I probably shouldn't say this, but it seems like in my memory there was a song years ago that said something like, I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right, too. I don't know if that's a Jesus song or not, though. <laughs> so I got a long way to go tonight and a short time to get there. Amen. The Lord is, we'll segue that now. Uh, the Lord is talking to us. Amen. The Lord is talking to us. And uh, this, I'm telling you right now, we, we talked about it last night in our prayer meeting. Amen. Uh, this, this revelation that the Lord is giving to us that he spoke to us about on Sunday. And he, and he talked to us uh, a little bit about it. Uh, kind of in the first part of the series, and uh, but it was like we didn't quite get it maybe or the importance of it, and so he cycled back around and gave us greater revelation and uh, greater understanding of the importance of repentance, the importance of repentance, that it's not um, a key to revival, that it is the key to revival. And uh, this understanding of, of repentance and the power of repentance, the necessity of repentance. And uh, how many know we are to have a heavenly perspective of repentance? Okay, if you were not here on Sunday, if you were not here on Sunday, you absolutely, positively, uh, you need uh, to listen to that message and uh, because it is, it is a word from the Lord, it is revelation from the Lord uh, concerning where our church is uh, moving forward and, and what he wants us to do in order to get there. Somebody said amen. amen. And so we're going to keep talking about it again tonight. I feel like the Lord just wants to just keep just pushing it into our spirits, pushing it into our spirits. And uh, we're going to deal with it again uh, tonight. Uh, somebody say, let your light shine. You may be seated. <clears throat> Everything that God has promised to the present day church is available to you and it's available to me. How many believe that? It's not just available to some churches and to some people. It's available to you and it's available to me. Anything, anyone, hear me now very carefully. Any, anything that anyone has ever accomplished in God, you and I can accomplish in God. There are, there are no, like, you know, super spiritual people that we can never get there no matter how hard we try. Anything that anyone has ever accomplished in God, through God, because of God, you and I can accomplish the same. Anything that has ever happened in another church can happen in this church. Any great harvest that has happened in any other local congregation can happen in this local congregation. And yet there is a catch. There is a catch, and that is this. In order to see what God desires for you and I to see, we have to be willing to pay the price. We have to be willing to pay the price, and that's why more people aren't seeing it, right? That's why more people aren't seeing the greater things of God individually, collectively, local body of believers, is because uh, they are not willing to pay the price, and the reality is this. We're not sugarcoating anything tonight. There is no easy way to harvest. There is no soft way to harvest. Because if it was easy again, everybody would be seeing it, but we're not. Why? Because the price is not easy. The price necessary to be paid in order to see the things God has for his present-day church, it is not an easy price to pay. The price is not convenient. 
the price is not conducive to our flesh. For in fact, the price necessary to bring about God's will and God's greater promises is the crucifixion of flesh. The crucifixion of our flesh. Let me show it to you again. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with shout at all. All. Not some, not most, not whatever. It's all. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So there is this place. This is speaking of a heavenly place in this natural dimension that you and I dwell in. There is a heavenly place in this natural dimension that you and I live in where all the spiritual blessings of God can be encountered, experienced. And it is this place that God is desiring to lead us to as individuals and as a church. And it is this place that so many people in this room, I believe, are hungering to get to. There is a hunger and there's a passion that I feel rising from the congregation, from this local body of believers that are saying we're tired of where we've been. We want to see the greater things of God. We want to see the promises of God. We want to see what's only been talked about but never witnessed, never touched. Is there anybody in the house that you truly, truly, more than just saying yes because you're supposed to at this point, you truly have a hunger and a passion to see the greater things of God in your life and in your family and in this church. It is a heavenly place on this earth. So how is it? How is it that this heavenly place on earth is unlocked? He said this place, the spiritual blessing, heavenly places, how is it unlocked? The next verse tells us, Ephesians 1 and 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So here we see that it is the will of heaven to demonstrate on earth all spiritual blessings. And it will be demonstrated upon a people who are holy and without blame. Holy and without blame. Now, again, as we talked about on Sunday, that does not mean that all spiritual blessings will only fall on perfect people because there are no perfect people. It simply means that all spiritual blessings will fall on a people that live in a state of repentance before the Lord and are therefore holy and without blame before the Lord. Where they don't go months at a time between repenting. But they live in a continual state of repentance. Holy and blameless before the Lord. And when the Lord can find an individual who will, and this has kind of been the buzzword, and, and, and the word that I'm trying to incorporate in my life, when God can find an individual who will allow their lives to be saturated with repentance, consumed, saturated with repentance, when he can find a person like that, they operate in a place because of their repentance and their willingness to repent, they operate in a place that is holy and blameless. And he says, now I can elevate that person to heavenly places and they can witness the blessings that I have prepared for them. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It doesn't mean that if we fall one time and fail one time that we're never going to be able to witness these things. No, it means if we fall, we live in this state of repentance that very quickly, very quickly, we don't go weeks, days with unrepentant sin, but very quickly we repent completely and totally and sincerely and operate back in that place of holy and without blame. Oh, hallelujah. And so it is that individual that has access to heavenly places. Heavenly places. I want that. 
That's why Jesus himself would say this. Mark chapter 1 and verse 2. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger. I'm, I'm going to go quick now, so just buckle up and hang on. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of what? Repentance. The baptism of repentance. I want you to notice this Jesus who would heal the sick. This Jesus who would walk on water. This Jesus who would feed the thousands and raise the dead and open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. This same Jesus that would bring about the greatest revolution and the greatest message that our world has ever seen. This same Jesus lets us know, I can't do anything until John works. Jesus said, I can't show up. I can't even step on the scene. Until John does what he's supposed to do. You go before me, John, because if you don't go before me, I can't. Jesus, God in flesh, can't accomplish what he wanted to accomplish until John the Baptist did what he was supposed to do. What was he supposed to do? John the Baptist came to create a culture that would saturate a society and a people to a certain degree with repentance. You go before me and you create an avenue of repentance, a mindset of repentance, a culture of repentance. And if you'll do that, John, then I can come behind you and I can feed the 5,000 and I can walk on water and I can raise the dead. And I can do what I've been called to do. And I can bring a world uh, to heavenly things. uh, And I can bring salvation and hope and redemption and mercy and all this kind of stuff. He said, but I can't do it unless repentance can first be found. And I just believe that if repentance prepared the way of the Lord in the New Testament, I also have to believe that repentance is going to prepare the way of the Lord uh, in this church. And in this time and in this hour and in this people, I want to see miracles. I want to see blessings. I want to see outpourings. I want to see signs and wonders that only God can give. But I'm not going to see it because I praise him more for it. And I'm not going to see him because I shout more for it or because we sing better. No, 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 no. If we want to see him work, we've got to prepare the way with repentance. There has to be a people that become saturated and take upon themselves a culture of repentance. And God said, if you'll do that, it'll prepare the way for me to move. Come on, somebody, put your hands together, give him praise. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It is imperative that we understand what the Spirit is saying to us right now. It is imperative. So to see the harvest of souls, there must first be a revival of the saints. To see sinners repent, there must first be a willingness to see and have the saints repent because we are the ones who prepare the way for what the Lord wants to do. It is this avenue of repentance that will escort us into the heavenly places of God's promises and God's provision and God's power. It's all made possible to us by repentance. Let me quickly read to you some excerpts from some writers. And I've been encouraging you, and I talked to the hyphen uh, the other day uh, in our pickup prayer meeting. We had a great prayer meeting Tuesday night. 
But I want to encourage you, if, if there's something about revival that is burning within you, I want you to get on Kindle, get on whatever kind of book reading thing that you, that you use. And there's all kinds of books that have been written about revivals of days gone by. I want you to get on there and read those things, okay? It just builds faith. It just builds faith that, God, if you did it then, you can do it now. Somebody said amen. And so, but let me just quickly read you some excerpts from some of the writers that have studied and written about the great revivals that have happened around the world in, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever it was. Brian Edwards said this, and I quote, holiness can never be separated from revival. The necessary evidence of revival is, and I quote, deep conviction of sin and biblical holiness. And again, I quote, revival is always a revival of holiness, and it begins with a terrible conviction of sin. Lewis Drummond explained it this way, and I quote, a spiritual awakening is no more than God's people seeing God in his holiness, turning from their wicked ways and being transformed into his likeness. One noted revivalist, Charles Finney, repeatedly spoke of repentance as an integral component of revival. And again, and I quote revival, Charles Finney would say, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Study, I'm telling you, study any period of time and any revival of that period and you will see that the focus of every single revival that it always started because a people decided to repent. Every one of them, without fail. It wasn't like one of them started because of worship and one of them started because of singing and one of them started because of this, that. No, 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 no. Every single one of them, without fail, any book you'll ever read, every one of them started because a group of people said, we want to repent before the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. J. Lee Grady said about the Welsh Revival, which I've read several of those books, that it was, and I quote, marked by profound waves of conviction that drew people to repentance. Alan Redpath put it this way, and I quote, if you want revival, let me remind you that God only plants the seed of his life in soil which has been broken up by repentance. Graham Scroggy said this, and I quote, there never has been a spiritual revival, never has there been a spiritual revival which did not begin with an acute sense of sin. We are never prepared for a spiritual advancement until we see the necessity of getting rid of that which has been hindering it and that in the sight of God is sin. Anything that has hindered the advancement of the church is sin. But he said if you get rid of the sin, the church will advance. So yes, I'm here to tell you, yes, repentance is a crucifixion of our flesh. And it is a cutting away of those things that have been attached to us for so long. And therefore, it is painful. And yes, the price is hard. But the Lord is trying to give us revelation of the fact that repentance is not to be viewed as something that we have to lose. But rather, repentance is that which causes us to be able to gain all of the promises of heaven heaven on earth in our church 
Hear me, saints of God. If every great revival, and please understand what the Spirit is saying right now. If every great revival in the last 200 years has begun with the people who became saturated with repentance, then we can see our great revival when we become saturated with repentance as well. That's why I want God to show me everything in my life that is not pleasing to him. I don't want to show it, uh, not so I'll feel discouraged by my failures, not, because, not so I'll feel inadequate, not so I'll feel like I'm, I'm not good enough to be able to minister or do what God has called me to do. No, I want him to show me my failures and my sins and my shortcomings because I know the only reason he's showing them to me is because he wants to give me something Something so much greater. Hear me now. If God is talking, and he is, if God is talking to us profoundly about repentance, it is because he has us on the right road to seeing everything that he has promised. I want to know, is there something burning in your spirit right now? Ask yourself, is this just a Thursday night? Is this just another Bible study? Is this just another thing? We'll hear pastor teach a little bit and we'll go home and keep doing what we're doing. Or is there something burning in your spirit right now? Are you connected to what the spirit is saying? Is there something in you that is driving you? Is there something in you that is connecting you to the word and to the spirit and to the voice of God where there's something in you that says, God, if you are dealing with us about repentance, it's because you got us on a journey and that journey is leading us to the greatest harvest this church has ever seen. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Come on, I want to know who the young people are in this room that are truly getting this revelation right now. I want to know who the hyphen are in this room that are truly getting this revelation right now. I want to know who the adults is in this room that are truly getting this revelation right now and there's something burning in you. It's like fire shut up in your bones. If This isn't just church as usual. This isn't just church as normal. This isn't just something that, ah, we've been here before, just a Bible study, just a lesson. We're going to keep seeing what we've always seen, but there's something in you that says this is our day, this is our hour, everything God's promised. Uh, we don't need everybody but we need some of you. We need me. We need some of you that'll say, I'm on board. I caught it. It's in me, Pastor. It's in me. It's in me. I recognize. I recognize. I recognize I can't keep doing what I've been doing. I can't keep doing what I've been doing and see something different. This church can't keep doing what we've been doing and see something different and God is talking to us about repentance. I read the story the other day of a man in New York some time ago, many years ago. He became mysteriously paralyzed. It came on him gradually, and he didn't even really know when it began, but gradually got worse and worse, and finally they had to take him to the hospital because he was completely paralyzed. And The investigation of the skillful 
surgeon found a tiny piece of bone, just a tiny little piece of bone, the size of a match head. And it had pressed on a certain nerve center in his body. And it rendered him powerless. It wasn't necessarily something big. But it was big enough to strip all power from him. Hear me. The book would say it like this. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. In other words, what it's saying is this. God absolutely desires to do in your midst what he promised he would do. He's absolutely capable of fulfilling his promise and his will in your church. Verse 2, though. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Not that he can't hear, he will not hear. I want you to notice, it does not say that our big iniquities will keep God from doing what he promised. It said our iniquities will keep God from doing what he promised. Even that which we might view as a small thing. It was the size of a match head, but it rendered him powerless. Even though we might view it as a small thing and a small sin. And therefore, it's not that important to talk to God about or repent about. If that is in us, it is going to render us completely powerless to the matters of the Spirit. Because our iniquities separate God and us. And our sin hides his face from us. There's no way we can walk in heavenly places. Issues that we don't want to talk about. Issues that we just want to sweep under the rug. Issues that we just kind of want to forget about. We'll just agree to disagree and move on. And there's ought between one another. Issues that we're becoming more and more acclimated to even though at first we were greatly convicted of it. At first we were greatly convicted of this thing, but we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it, and now we've acclimated ourselves to it, and we don't sense the conviction in our life like we once did. And now it's become a small thing. Issues that we only encounter in the privacy of our own home, so nobody else is really being affected by it, so it's not really that big a deal. Watching this doesn't really matter because it's not like all those other shows on TV. In comparison to all those other movies out there, this one really isn't that bad. It's just small. It, it's, it's just rated that way because of the blood and the violence. There's no nudity. Well, there's some nudity. But the rating guide said it was partial nudity, so it's okay. And then we wonder why we're not walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why we have to live lives that are saturated with repentance through a continued revelation of the holiness of God because we need every known sin no matter we think they're big or small and if we categorize them as big or small we need every known sin to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ if we're going to walk in the dimensions of the heavenly things that he has promised to us. Quiet talking about what we watch. The book would say it like this. 
Psalms chapter 24 and verse 3. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Clean hands and a pure heart are that which positions us to ascend into those heavenly places. So the question the Holy Ghost is asking us is who wants to go there? Who's willing to pay the price to get to the heavenly places where we can receive the blessings of the Lord and the righteousness of our God? I don't know about anybody else, but I want the blessings of the Lord on my life. I want the blessings of the Lord on my family. And I want the blessings of the Lord on this church. So I say again, repentance is not about what we have to give up in order to measure up to some standard. It's about what we give up in order to gain all that God has for us the holy hill where his righteousness and his blessings dwell I want to get there Uh, so it is and I'm hurrying so it is this life this, this revelation of a life saturated by repentance brother Rima it's 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 opened up a few verses to my understanding that I didn't previously have For instance, the book says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also, everybody get your thinking caps on. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Notice, now this is important, leave it up there. So I'm I'm reading through this. And the Lord spoke to me. And he says, it does not say always bearing about in the body the death of the Lord Jesus. The dying of the Lord Jesus. It says that we are to bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. Here's why. Death is final. Death is complete. Death is finished. But dying speaks of the activity of death actively at work in our bodies. Come on, Jesus. Hear me now. God never wants us to get to the place where we feel as if our repentance or our dying is complete, final, or finished. But we are to live in a state of always bearing about in our body the continual dying of our flesh. The continual crucifixion of our flesh. How? Through repentance. Repentance is to be something that continually stays with us. Repentance is to be something that we are continually talking to God about. Repentance is to be something that we are always working out in relationship to our greater understanding of the holiness of God. Repentance is to be something that continually saturates who we are and what we do. We are to, the moment we get to the place where we say, I don't have anything left to repent for, is the moment we become disobedient to the word of the Lord. Because we're saying our dying has come to a place of death, come to a place of completion. And the Lord said, you're never going to get there. 
But here's what we need to see. Now watch. 2 Corinthians 4.10, same verse. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, comma, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in what? Our body. Now you got to get this. When we live lives, come on Jesus, talk to us now. When we live lives that are always bearing about the dying of our Lord Jesus through continual repentance, then that opens the door that allows the life of Jesus to then be made manifest in our bodies. The life of Jesus, that which the life of Jesus produced, that which the life of Jesus accomplished, that which the life of Jesus brought about. Listen, not in heaven will we experience that, but operating in our bodies and in our lives right now. Woo! He said, if you'll be willing to continually die and live in a state of dying, uh, we're saturated by repentance uh, and the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, he said, you will also experience the life of Jesus Christ, uh, not one day on streets of gold, uh, but right now in your body currently. Ooh, hallelujah. Uh, come on, Jesus did some pretty good stuff. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would give us the same promise in other places like this. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Now it's making sense and we're putting the puzzles together. John, ver, uh, John 14 and 12. Verily, verily, I say, Jesus said, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. And we shout about this first. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do greater things. We're going to do what Jesus did. But Jesus tells us how to do what he did. He said, if you will live in your life continually dying, the, light, the death of Jesus, he said, you will begin to operate in the life of Jesus in, because we are the body of Christ. And he said, and that if you get to that place, you can do what I did. Uh, we, need, we need a baptism of faith. We need a baptism of faith. Sometimes I wonder if we truly believe that we can do what Jesus did, even though he told us he, we should. He said it. He said it. And then he says, I'm not going to make it hard as far as some nebulous, confusing mystical, dark way to get to that place. He said, I'll tell you straight out. Here's how you get there. Always bear about in your body the dying of Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that, you'll operate with the life of Jesus Christ to do what I did on earth. Uh, woo. Oh, hallelujah. First John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Ready? Because as he is, so are we, where? In this world. This is where he wants us to get. As he was in this world, so also should we be in this world. 
What he did in this world is what he wants you and I to do. And somebody right now is discounting yourself. Somebody say, well, I can't do that. I can't do what Jesus did. He's Jesus. No, no, no. This is a word from the Lord. Stop believing the lies of the devil. Let your faith begin to connect with the revelation that God is trying to give to us as a people. We keep praying about boldness and praying about boldness and praying about boldness. But the Lord is telling us you'll get boldness when you begin to pray in your life. The spirit of dying of Jesus Christ. It'll release the life of Jesus Christ in your life. And as he is, so will we be in this world. Not in the world to come, in this world. Not in heaven, but in your apartment complex. And in your neighborhood. And in your school. And in your college. As he is, so should we be. Somebody said amen. Operating as he operated. Accomplishing what he accomplished. Healing like he healed. Delivering like he delivered. Casting out devils like he cast out devils. Walking in the miraculous like he walked in the miraculous. Come on, is this what we want? Is this heaven on earth? Is this where God's promised his people to operate in? It's possible when people decide to live out their lives bearing the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest through them in the context of their worlds. Somebody said amen. So it is that this act of continual repentance and a lifestyle of repentance is so important. It is so important to the New Testament believer that the writer of Hebrews would say it like this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Now watch, that, that phrase, go on, he says to go on. It is a phrase that literally means to be carried on. This is referencing the spirit of the Lord, the breath, the spirit, the, the wind of the Holy Ghost. Carrying us into these heavenly places. These heavenly places of greater perfection. These, these, these heavenly places of greater revelation and of greater power and of greater spiritual possibility. It's speaking, it's speaking of the Spirit of God leading us to, to greater encounters with the, with the higher and loftier and grander plans and purposes that God has established for His church to witness. And the message of the writer of Hebrews is, is quite clear what he is expressing to us. For he is reminding us that it was repentance that released the Spirit of God to carry us and to elevate us into these places. And it is going to be repentance that continues to elevate us to these greater places and these greater heights. So please get the reality and the revelation. It's like the writer of Hebrews is saying, you, you guys got to get this. You got to understand what I'm saying because this is so important. Get the revelation of the power of a continually repentant heart as a foundational truth to your Christian walk. Don't make us keep coming back and reminding you over and over and over again of the importance of repentance. This is what he's saying. He's saying at some point you have to get revelation of the fact that it is a foundational principle that is going to carry you to heavenly places. And you have to begin to live your life with that understanding. Not for two weeks 
And then we got to come back again and say, hey, guys, remember how important repentance was? Listen, church, at some point, this, sermon, this series is going to be over, believe it or not. At some point, we're not going to keep talking about repentance. At some point, the Spirit is going to want to lead us into other things. Therefore, if we are going to continue to be carried by the Holy Ghost into these heavenly places, we must cultivate an attitude of continual repentance in our lives every single day that we live because we're not going to talk about it and remind everybody about it every week. But if we're going to get there, somebody's got to get this in their hearts. Somebody's got to get this in your mind. Somebody's got to still feel this power next week and next month and next year and if we will we're going to get there we're going to go come on come on we can't expect the Holy Ghost every week to remind us we've got to get this as culture in our church this has to become culture in our lives. Every day we pray, there needs to be a desire. There needs to be a passion that says, I want to get into repentance. Not because pastor's doing a series on it right now, and so I'm thinking about it more. But five months from now, when I'm not talking about it at all, there's still a passion and an even greater passion within us that says, I can't wait to get to repentance. I want to talk to God. I want to see his holiness. I want him to reveal everything in me that's not right. Why? Because I know when he takes it out, he's got something greater he wants to give to me and I want the spirit to lead us as a church I want the spirit to escort us as a church I want the spirit to carry us into these heavenly places come on how many, how many This, you guys have no idea how I feel about this and I understand but it is so important because one person or two people or five people can't make it happen who, who in the house sincerely would lift up your hands right now and say, God, I don't want to forget about this, but I want it, I want it to saturate me. I want it to saturate me. I want it to become my culture. I don't want to go back to what I was. I don't want to go back to who I was. I don't want to go back. I don't want this church to just say, hey, we had a pretty good run there for a couple weeks, and we started kind of seeing some good stuff, but now we're just back to where we were. No, God, help us, Lord, not to do that. But it is imperative that more than just a few people in this room get it into your heart. And it's not something that has to keep being reminded and reminded and reminded but we get it as a foundational thing of who we are in our walk with God just just Now listen, now watch this, watch this, watch this. Lord spoke this to me the other day, he gave me some revelation about jump through the ceiling. The Bible, speaking of Jesus Christ in his flesh, would say this, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Everybody with me? Hebrews 1 and 3. Speaking of Jesus in his flesh, who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person. We understand that God is spirit. And so spirit doesn't have a face. Spirit doesn't have hands. 
but the spirit robed himself in flesh and Jesus Christ became the expressed image of the holy God, right? And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sin. Somebody say, thank God for Calvary. So the fleshly nature of Christ went to Calvary, right? And he was crucified. His flesh was crucified. And then it says, and after that, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I need your minds. We're going to miss it. So get this. God is spirit. So when it says he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, it's very important that you understand this. God is spirit. Spirit does not have a right hand or a left hand. This is not some Trinitarian reference depicting God the Son sitting next to God the Father. Because God is a spirit. There is no right hand or left hand. But when the, when the word of the Lord speaks of the right hand of God, it is simply referencing the power and the authority of God. Okay? The power and the authority of the one God. So we see that it was after Jesus dealt with the sin issue of humanity at Calvary that he then ceased from that which he had to do in his flesh. Because his willingness to die, give me your minds, his willingness to die in order to deal with the sins of all flesh was not something he could have accomplished in the spirit. There had to be an actual crucifixion of flesh and an actual dying out of flesh. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Spirit don't have blood. So this isn't something he could accomplish in the spirit. It had to be something that he accomplished in the flesh. But once he became willing to allow his flesh to be crucified in order to deal with the sin issue, he then was able to sit down in the place where the power and the authority of the spirit would operate and accomplish the work. All right, is everybody with me? So we see that the power and the might and the authority of the Spirit was released to work its work when Christ became willing in his flesh to be crucified. The work that he had to accomplish, I'm building now, stay with me. The work that he had to accomplish in his flesh was the work of a fleshly and because he was willing to allow the fleshly death to happen, he then could rest in the work of the spirit that holds within its being all power and all authority. He doesn't have to do anything else in the flesh to accomplish his work on earth. For his willingness to die unleashes now the power and the authority of God to perform his will. Now somebody says, well, that's Jesus, and that's, that's pretty cool, but what does this have to do with us? Watch what the book says. When speaking about you and I, it says this, Ephesians 2 and 6, and hath raised us up together and made us... <laughs> sit together. Who are we sitting with? 
Where? Where does this happen? Heavenly places. Again, these heavenly places are brought about because we, like Christ, become willing to allow our flesh to die in order to deal with our sin issue. And when we become willing to do that, it puts us in a place where we are now sitting alongside Christ in this heavenly place. And our willingness to allow our fleshly work of continual repentance has now elevated us to a place in him where now we can sit in a place where the power and the authority of the Spirit of God is now doing its work through us. It's not about what I can accomplish in my flesh because I got one job in the flesh. My one job in the flesh is to crucify it. But when I crucify it, it elevates me to a place, a heavenly place, where I'm sitting together with Jesus in this heavenly dimension where now it becomes the work of the power and the authority of Jesus Christ at work through me. Come on, somebody praise him if you believe that. Somebody needs to get revelation of the power of repentance because the Lord says your flesh in your flesh is no good thing. No flesh shall glory in my presence. You got one job to do in the flesh. The spirit can't do it for you. But if you'll crucify your flesh and the desires of your flesh, it'll elevate you to a heavenly place where you can begin to operate in the power and authority of the Spirit. Come on, somebody lift your hands. I want to sit together with him in heavenly places. I want to sit together with him in heavenly places. But I'm only going to get there the same way he did in his flesh to crucify it. I want to operate in power and authority. The spirit of God at work through me. Now, you may be seated quickly. Let me, let me, let me prove this. Let me prove that point to you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's repentance. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. In Jesus' name, in water. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. We are risen to newness of life when we are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right? So this is speaking of our, stay with me, this is speaking of our initial conversion experience. When we repented of our sins, were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And that's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 2. But in the very next chapter he writes this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen, 
with Christ. In other words, because you have repented, were baptized, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, now I want you to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In other words, he's trying to tell the church, there is so much more that is available to you than just your salvation experience. There is so much more that God wants you to pursue after than just being satisfied, being saved. But there is this place. There is this heavenly place, this place you can attain where you will sit with Christ in his power and in his authority. And that is a place, he says, I want you to seek after that place. I want you to pursue after that place. I want you to strive after that place. Well, Paul... Colossians 3.1, Paul, thank you. I see you're encouraging me to do this. So how do I get to that place? How do I get there, Paul? He tells us the very next verse, Colossians 3.2. Set your affections on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. You have to be more enamored by operating in heavenly places and in heavenly dimensions than you do in that which your flesh produces. He said you're never going to get to heavenly places if you're more concerned about the fleshly things than you are the heavenly things. You have to want, you have to want it, you have to want it. You have to want to experience thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More than you want to follow after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You've got to be more in tune and more enamored by heavenly things. And here's why. Because when we want heavenly things more than we do earthly things, then we can be obedient to what Paul says next. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. The things that are earthly, that are attached to you, connected to you, he said, put them to death. Which are what? Fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence. <laughs> I never say that word right. Covetousness which is idolatry, for which things sake the, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them, but now ye also put off all these things. What, what, what does he want us to put off? Anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man which is deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that was created in him. Remember, he's not talking to sinners here. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the saints. And he's letting them know that their repentance for salvation was not where repentance was supposed to stop. And the reason was because he just listed a whole lot of things that were still in their lives that needed to be repented for. But he's not beating them up about it. He said, if you'll be willing to live that lifestyle of repentance and live a life that is saturated with repentance, then you can be elevated to that place of sitting with Christ in heavenly 
places where the release and the operation of the work of the Spirit will flow powerfully through you. We cannot build a church on flesh. We cannot have a harvest with fleshly abilities, fleshly mindsets, and fleshly programs. And so we need to have a life saturated with repentance so we move into that heavenly place, that heavenly dimension where the Spirit of God begins to work through us to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. I don't want to just be saved. I want the Spirit of God to work through me with great power and authority. And not only do I want it for me, but I want it for this church. But more importantly than me wanting it for this church, God wants it for this church. Now watch this. Everybody good? Revelation 12 and 10, I'm hurrying. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. I'm going to help somebody right now if you'll listen and stay plugged in. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives until the death. So here we see that there is a place in Christ we can get to where we experience his salvation, his strength, his kingdom operating in our lives, and his power at work in us. That's what the verse said. But not only that, but in that same place, we can live out our freedom from the works of the adversary by having the power to live an overcoming life. How many want to live an overcoming life? You see, the, th- the thing that's stopping some of us from these heavenly places is we are uh, got some addictions and we got some hang-ups and we got some struggles that keep putting us back and putting us back and putting us back. And we can't operate in these heavenly places. And I'll help you right now if you'll listen. So how do we get to that place where we live in freedom? How do we live in that place where we overcome? How do we get to that place? The Bible tells us we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and By not loving this flesh so much that we become willing to put its desires and its passions to death. Is that what it says? But the issue is, Pastor Elijah, the issue is that we so often leave out that third part. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We shout about it. And if you just do two out of the three, you will not walk in freedom. It is a three-part responsibility of the church in order to unleash the kingdom of God in our midst and live an overcoming life. Could it be that we don't mind pleading the blood? Could it be that we don't mind telling our testimony? But we're struggling with this third thing simply because we love our lives so much. I'll help you if you listen. There's too much of our human spirit that we don't want to put to death. There's too much of our fleshly appetites that we don't want to put to death. There's still too much worldliness attached to us that we don't want to put to death. We plead the blood and we wonder why the devil's still wreaking havoc in our home. I plead the blood. I went around my house and I plead the blood of Jesus all over it and the devil's still working. 
But if we can get to the place where we become willing to put to death everything in our life, where every part of our life where the enemy has a connection to our flesh. We talked about this the other night. Every place in our life where the enemy has a connection to our flesh, if we would be willing to put that to death, I want you to see that in turn it is going to release salvation and strength and those things are going to be unleashed in our lives and it will cause the kingdom of God and the power of Christ to operate in our midst. The verse tells us like never before and it will usher us into a dimension of authority where we will be able to live an overcoming life free from the attack of the enemy. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Now I'm closing. I'm closing. I'm closing. The Lord's going to help us right now. Anybody feeling what I'm feeling? I spoke to you last week about the fact that I truly believe the New Testament church is supposed to be seeing more angelic activity than what we do. If we are going to spend eternity in heavenly places, doesn't it only make sense that we know more about the heavenly things than we do about earthly things? But why is it that it seems like we know so much more about earthly things than we do heavenly things? We have no problem talking about devils and demons. But start talking about angels and everybody's like, mm. We see demons everywhere. We don't ever see angels. We see devils everywhere. We don't ever see angels. And, and, and it's, because, it's because the operation and the ministry of angels is so foreign to us. And that is not how it's supposed to be. In fact, the visitation of the angelic was such a common reality in the lives of the New Testament church. Remember that story when Peter's in jail and the angel shows up? I, 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 get, I get a kick out of it. It says something like, he, I don't know what it says in the King James, but it, he elbows him like in the side. He's like, yeah. I mean, he didn't just softly, you know. Hey, wake up. He's like, you know. I just think that's funny. And so he gets up and, and the door's open and he, he walks out, the angel, whatever. And he gets to the house. Watch this now. And I don't have time to, I don't even know if I understand all of it. And I don't have time to explain it even if I did. So he gets to the house. So the church is having a prayer meeting for him to get out of prison. Right? They're praying for him to get out of prison. So Peter gets out of prison because of an angel. And he shows up at the door and he knocks on the door. And Rhoda show, comes up and she opens the door and then shuts the door. And she walks back in and they're like, hey, who was it? And, they, and she said, it was Peter's angel. And, and so, so the belief is, the belief is, is that, uh, that, now, you know, believe what you want, whatever, I guess, but this isn't necessarily doctrine or salvation, but that there, there, there are angels that can take on the form of you and I. Believe what you want to believe. I'm just going to choose to believe there are angels because the Bible tells us. Now, I got a buddy, you would know him if I told you his name, but he was telling me the story the other day that he, he was preaching, he was preaching at a church, 
and, and preaching this revival, Brother Ron, at this church. And every morning the pastor called for early morning prayer. But my buddy, he's there with his little kids, and so he wasn't able to get up in the morning to go to pre-service prayer or to early morning prayer every day. And so he'd go in the afternoon, then he'd preach at night. And at the conclusion of the week-long prayer uh, revival service, this young man came up to him and he said, uh, he said, brother, he said, he said, I just want to thank you. He said, I just want to thank you for ministering to me uh, like you did every morning at early morning prayer. And he said, well, what, what are you talking about? He said, he said, yeah, thank you. You, you. you were always right there and you always, you sat right behind me and I could hear your voice and you were praying over me and you were laying your hand on me and you were ministering to me. And he said, you don't know what that did for me. It just changed my life. And my buddy said, I, I, I was never there. And he said, no, 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 you, you absolutely were there. He said, you had on jeans, you had on this shirt. I saw you. I saw your face. I saw, I saw you. You were there. You prayed for me. And my buddy said, I was never there. I wasn't there one time. Angels. 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 Peter's angel. When John was given, I'm closing, but when John was given license to peer into the heavens, he records in the book of Revelation, he witnesses encounters and he records the word angel 44 times. And I believe with all of my heart, and this is something that I'm, now listen, we're, we're never, we are never going to pursue angels more than we pursue the presence of God. Okay? I, I just ain't going to let that happen. But I do believe that the will of God and the word of God says that there are to be angelic things that happen in our midst. And we're not going to get more enamored when somebody says there's angels in this room than we are when somebody says God is in this room. But I truly believe that the Lord is preparing us and positioning us to begin walking in these spiritual dimensions where we begin to see angelic Things happen. But now watch this. We're, we're, we're coming into the, the runway here. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20. And while I was speaking, and while I was praying, what was he praying? And I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. While I was repenting. And presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was praying this and speaking in prayer and repenting, the angel Gabriel shows up. Who I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly. He touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he stood there and the angel Gabriel touches me, stops me from praying. And begins to talk to me and says, Oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give thee skill and understanding. For the next several verses, you can read it. The Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord begins to speak to Daniel about the last days. And so here we see that Daniel received the skill and the understanding necessary for the last days while he repented. As he repented, repentance was the key that opened up his angelic visitation. Maybe you don't want to see it, but I do. 
The book says in another place like this, Hebrews 1 and 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand and I make the enemies thy footstool. Speaking of angels, he says this, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Do we have any heirs of salvation in the house? What is the what does the word of the Lord say about angels? He said the uh, angels are have been created by God to be sent forth to minister to you and you and you and you and you and I believe like Daniel it is the will of God for angels to speak to us as a mouthpiece of the Lord given divine direction from heaven to come to where we are and to talk to us to give us skill to give us understanding to give us revelation Come on, somebody. But if we're going to see it, we're going to have to be willing to do what Daniel did because it was while he repented that the Lord said, I can show you heavenly things now. While he repented, the Lord said, now you've tapped into heavenly places. Now you've been elevated to heavenly places. Now you're going to begin to see what happens in a heavenly dimension. Stand to your feet, please. Ah. It's the will of God to take this church higher. It's the will of God to move this church forward. But it is imperative that we as a people become saturated with a desire to repent every day. Not living under condemnation, but a heavenly perspective of repentance. God, we're excited about it. We want to know everything that's keeping us from what you have promised. We want to know everything that's keeping us from walking in heavenly places. We want to know everything that's keeping us, God. Other people might not care about it. Other people might not be concerned about it. Other people might just be happy going to heaven. But I want to see angels and I want to encounter spiritual, heavenly, angelic things. He's reaching for somebody who wants to go beyond the norm. He's reaching for somebody who wants to go beyond the status quo. There's enough people sitting on the pew. Yeah, they're saved. They're going to go to heaven, but they're not doing much. There's enough of those people in the world. The Lord's calling for somebody that says, do you want to see things you've never seen? Do you want to go places you've never gone? Do you want to experience heavenly things, angelic things, spiritual things? Do you want to have visions? Do you want to have dreams, spiritual dreams, spiritual visions? Do you want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Not a lot of people that want it because there's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid. But if you could ever get the revelation of repentance from a heavenly perspective... It moves you from repentance being a judgmental, condemning thing to an exciting thing.
that pushes us and propels us, excites us <laughs> for the greater things of God. Don't let the enemy tell you you can't see it. Because if anybody can see it, you can see it. 